Today's episode is brought to you by Grasshopper.com. Save $50 on your order at www.trygrasshopper.com slash cinema recall. This podcast may contain adult language, adult situations, spoilers, and some brief nudity, so parental guidance is adjusted. We have such sights to show you. After about five minutes of this movie, you're going to wish you had ten beers. I'm such. And? And there are many gifts in the world and many times as well but I am Sancho human sacrifice dogs and cats living together mass hysteria listen Walter listen I made a great reporter out of you Hildy but you won't be half as good on any other paper and you know it we're a team so what would you little maniacs like to do first hi I'm Jackie wanna play oh well la di da la di da la la welcome back to the Cinema Recall Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Recall Podcast. I'm your host, The Vern. We're continuing our De Palma December month, talking about the films of Brian De Palma. And today's episode, we are going to be discussing the 1974 musical rock opera in a way, Brian De Palma's Phantom of the Paradise. And joining me for this episode, we have Lydia and Naomi and producer Jen from the Shot and Applaud podcast. Welcome. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. This is wonderful. So kind of tell each of your voices out there so people don't get people confused. So go ahead, Lydia. Say your name. And... Hey, this is Lydia with Shocked and Applaud. Yeah. This is Naomi, the co-host of Shocked and Applaud. This is Jen, your audio engineer and producer. <laughs> yes. And they have decided to join me the first time ever on Cinema Recall, to talk about a movie that they already covered on their podcast episode, and I'm very thankful and happy that they want to talk to me about this movie that is kind of like a love-hate relationship with you, Can I listen to your episode, and I can tell that you had a lot of issues with the movie, but yet you kind of enjoyed it as well. It's kind of a thing you hate to love or love to hate, uh, but just tell our listeners out there a little bit more about Shots and Applaud. Well, Lydia was the one who brought up the the movie to us from a podcast that she listens to. Oh, sorry, a, a YouTube channel that she listens to. Yeah, a couple of YouTubers that I, I watch uh, brought it up, and I was like, this is weird. We could do this on our podcast. And I'd never heard it before. I heard ne- I'd never heard of it before. I pulled it up and watched the trailer with our facts guy, Sean, and, he, and I was like, what are we doing this <laughs> month? And then... Every time someone's asked me to describe it since, I'm like, that's a movie I've seen. <laughs> and in terms of like, I mean, shocked and applaud, our whole our whole shtick is like, there are some really fantastic things and there's some really deplorable things about this movie. And we're going to talk about them all. What I love the best about shocked and applaud is that you don't give just one episode to a movie. Like, a movie doesn't just give one episode. You will have like three parts maybe sometimes four parts to a movie, and you really do like a deep dive <laughs> into them. Like, I'm really kind of amazed by all the facts that go on with a movie. I, I loved your Nate of the Living Dead uh, series when you covered that, and you talked about the different stages of Barbara. Oh, yeah, Barbara's a mess. Barbara might be a trash person, but at least she evolves. Yeah, I know. It's like, I almost want to take that portion of you talking about the five stage of Barbara and by put to a video or something like that. 
As long as it culminates with her getting slapped in the face, I am perfectly fine with that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very much so. Um, but before we get into our kind of thoughts about Phantom of the Paradise, since we're covering the movies of Brian De Palma, what are your thoughts about Brian De Palma? I'll start with you, uh, Naomi. What's your thoughts on Brian De Palma and his movies? Here's the thing, the Vern. I am terrible with names and the other half of my brain happens to be my audio engineer so i'm gonna need her to list some brian de palma stuff for me to give you a quick take on uh nicholas cage in snake eyes uh carrie um the new carrie or the old carrie the old, the, the old carrie okay okay um they're all gonna laugh at you goodfellas <laughs> goodfellas you do goodfellas <laughs> I'm going to say that that overall, I feel like I can appreciate his films, even if he's not my exact thing. I think anybody who takes on, especially a Stephen King film, uh, uh, gets a, a certain amount of respect for me. But also, if if you ever end up listening to our Pet Cemetery episode, I've yelled about this in 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 so many echoey voices. Um, taking on King's work is a really hard job and i think maybe the shining came the closest to it but you're you're communicating work that's really hard to do and so if de palma's the kind of guy who is willing to do that and it appears to be the case especially if he's working with nicholas cage and phantom of the paradise <laughs> like he's he's willing to stick his hand in the fire a bit and i i can i can appreciate that overall I can almost see Nicolas Cage playing Winslow in, like, a remake of Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> you should see the face of Lydia right now. I, I can almost picture that right there. Uh, but <laughs> other diploma features you may know, of course, is, like, maybe uh, Blowout, uh, Scarface, The Untouchables, Mission Impossible, Bonfire of the Vanities. Yeah, he has... Just kind of a whole, he covered like different many movies. Uh, so really quick plot description. I'm not going to go into too much detail about it. But Phantom of the Paradise is about this senior songwriter whom uh, I believe these ladies called the Muppets on their episodes. Uh, we have Winslow. And he's trying to create the best rock opera about Faust. Uh, and then you have Swan. Uh, played by Paul Williams. Winslow is played by William Finley. We'll get into the cast a little bit later there. Uh, but you have Swan, who's like this record producer, and he sees Swan and likes his music so much that he decides to uh, steal it, keep it for himself. Uh, Winslow gets arrested trying to uh, break into his office. Uh, he gets his face destroyed, and he becomes the Phantom of the Paradise, and the Phantom's main interest is this girl named Phoenix, played by Jessica Harper, <laughs> oh, who, no. for some, who, <laughs> who for some reason is the only girl that can ever seen these songs. And she's not bad. I mean, I've heard worse singers before, but she's not like the all, brain all, best singer ever. And so basically... Uh, the Phantom wants to find ways to destroy the theater, but then Swan's like, hey, you know what? Uh, I will get you your play to be performed, and I will get the star that you want. And then he gets double-screwed, 
I, I kind of like to call the Phantom of the Paradise Cuckold the movie because <laughs> this guy, Winslow, has the girl taken away, but yeah, he still pines for her, still wants her, likes to watch both Swan and Phoenix in bed. And just for, you know, I, I've heard your episodes before, but I'm going to start with you, Lydia. Give me your just general thoughts of Phantom of the Paradise. Probably have to go ahead and say it's this maj page of older stories put into a 1970s framework because it feels like it's a nice distillation. It's a nice distillation of the 70s in a movie mm-hmm. um, between like the the music and the um, you know costumery cost what is cost cost uh, costuming. Costuming. There we go. That's the correct word. Um, <clears throat> so it's it's this mosh podge because they pull from Faust, they pull from Phantom of the Opera, they uh, pull from the Dorian, uh, the picture of Dorian Gray. So it's just kind of like we're gonna pull from all these different sources and we're gonna kind of update the material so that way it's interesting to the youngsters. <laughs> so now, did this movie come out before? For Rocky Horror Picture Show or after? It did. It did indeed come out before Rocky. It, it came out before Kiss. <laughs> it came out before The Phantom of the Opera. Holy shit. Yeah, it's weird. It, it inspired so, Daft Punk and their robot head costumes. You, you know, looking at uh, The Phantom's mask right there, I can totally see that. Because there's the image of him at the very end, like, playing... The piano, I'm like thinking, oh my gosh, that could be the robot head playing the synthesizers and everything. So that's, I never thought about that. And and his voice coming out of the box, it's very robotic. Yeah. Oh, that might be one of the greatest scenes of all time. When dude is adjusting his audio. If you watch the movie with subtitles on, which we did like the second time that we watched it. Hold on, let's see. Listen to me turning my notes. Okay. <laughs> so what happened was in the subtitles, uh, because dude was talking under the uh, the phantom like getting his voice back yeah in in when the when he would speak it would be like hashtag the words he was saying so it said things like hashtag filters hashtag dolbies hashtag perfect and then like <laughs> his his voice gets adjusted so that when he, at least he's singing it sounds exactly like it should and it it's actually the voice of the guy who's adjusting it What's his face? Paul Williams. So Paul yeah. Williams, it gets adjusted to Paul Williams' actual voice. And when it finally hits that pitch, the the, the sub- subtitles say, hashtag perfect. <laughs> Do you remember how he says uh, Phoenix's name in the scene? Phoenix! Yeah, when he's not singing, it, his voice is all jacked to crack. And so... If you've watched this film, you have to... I mean, please, the Vern, do it again. Do I his voice. Phoenix! <laughs> yes! Phoenix! Phoenix! It's the best because I, for it's there, tragic. I will say this, though. When I first watched the movie, not knowing exactly the name, I thought he was saying penis. <laughs> Phoenix! Then I realized, that, oh, he's, he's saying the girl's name Phoenix right there. Yeah. And, uh, now, I I, I, uh, I like Jessica Harper. I liked her very much in um, uh, Suspiria. And 
that's the only movie I've really seen her in. I know she was in Stardust Memories, but I don't really remember that movie that much because I'm not really a fan of that movie. Um, and so I'm watching her in this movie, and I recognize the face of Jessica Harper, and I get that she's she's a good actress. I won't give her any leeway with this. She's not a bad person. But I just never really understood why um, Winslow is so into this girl. Because Winslow, at the beginning of the movie, he's kind of a psychopath. I'm going to say that right there. You, you may disagree or agree with me on that. but uh... I think she is phenomenally mediocre. Yes. That That is a good word there. Phenomenal mediocre. Because... Uh, at the beginning of this movie, and I should let listeners know this, that the beginning of the movie starts with this, like, 50s doo-wop group playing a song about their friend Johnny, and it's got, like, this, like, uh, how do you call it, the titles of the movie, when you think about Phantom of the Paradise, you think of something, like, maybe more gothic titles, but these are, like, theatrical laden with, like, little light bulbs in the title. Yeah, yeah. So you you have this movie about this phantom who's going to be invading this place and maybe causing some havoc, but it starts with this 50s doo-wop group. Yeah, like the worst greasers you've ever seen. There it is, and greasers. The, greasers, the greasers from Greece weren't that great, so like <laughs> the fact that we've got now like – and oh, and I'm pretty sure this came out before Greece. Mm-hmm. It did, yes. <laughs> 74. Like, and the, the movies that got mm, – I don't know how to phrase this politely, so I won't. The movies that got crapped out later than this one that that pulls so many themes from it are just amazing because I feel like I feel like if if you could imagine it, all of these different writers and directors were all in the same theater and they were all looking at this shepherd's pie of a movie, <laughs> which is a brown goo covered by a delightful layer of potato. <laughs> and they all came out with something different one was like oh the the peas were delightful oh this ground meat was delicious i'm only gonna take the mashed potatoes from it i think um i think the the greasers from greece might be the mashed potatoes of the shepherd's pie that is this movie maybe so maybe so and i like i like the concept of this movie very much about winslow is a guy who has, like, probably the most perfect, heartfelt songs ever, but the studio, the man, the system won't listen to him at all. And he's just trying to find his way to have people hear his work because it's the best. And I think it was Swan's assistant slash maybe co-producer, I'm not quite sure. He says, hey, maybe uh, this band who I... For for the life of me, I cannot remember what they are called. I I know they are. They're, like, they're called the Juicy Fruits. Juicy Fruits. That's yeah, what they are. Lydia writes down all the names because it's terrible. <laughs> they're all terrible. Everything that isn't the Phantom, arguably even Phoenix, <laughs> is terrible <laughs> in terms of title. Like when they make it to being like the Surfer Boys when they're the Beach Boys knockoff. Yeah. Like. They have a new, fantastic, terrible name. I don't. Do they? I mean, yeah. They probably you do. You told me before. But you have um, uh, Winslow getting contracted by Swan's assistant saying that, hey, look, we can actually get the Juicy Fruits to play your bits on and you can be hit. 
And without even like thinking about it, Winslow just goes off the deep end and says, No one's, no one's going to read any songs. No one's going to have uh, seen my songs, especially not these losers or these washed out stars. And just, yeah, he's, 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 got blood. A, he's got a 300 page thesis of Katana, excuse me. I'm saying that wrong. Yeah. Katana, uh, Katana, Katana. Yeah, Katana. Cantata. <laughs> Cantata. Jen got it. Okay. On Faust, mm-hmm. which is Faust is the story about an artist making a deal with the devil. And so, like, he should see all of this coming from 10,000 miles away. Yeah. But he manages to not. But he, he he's like, only Phoenix can sing it. We're going to whittle down my 300 pages to an album's worth. And then he signs off as if it doesn't matter at all. Yeah. Like, twice. I just, that's true. I, I don't. I re- oh, go ahead, go, 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 go ahead. I just, I rewatched it on Friday. And what was interesting is there's a lot of these little moments where you see, like, you know, uh, Winslow having to go through someone like uh, uh, Swan to get his music actually out there to the masses. He had to go ahead. And, and then there are moments where you see these articles in the newspaper um that were that were like changing the headlines and saying things like you know disgraced you know songwriter is you know been been you know dealt with by the police but his body was never found and there's <laughs> all of these like moments where swan has this obvious control in the police and the media and i'm thinking you know back in the 1970s there really wasn't an avenue for self production but now it's like, well, if if you want me to go ahead and do all of these things and I'm smart enough to actually, like, not go down that road, I can't always just put it on the Internet and hope that people find me, which, I mean, you have a lot of creative forces that are kind of coming up and there's so many. Mm-hmm. It can be very easy to feel like you're just another voice in the crowd, so to speak. So, um, like, to actually put your information out there, you would have to either have, like some heavy financial backing from something or you would have to have someone kind of like come in and be like, I'm going to talk about you and I'm going to promote you. So yeah. I, I like the fact too, that in this world, Swan has been the only record producer like ever in this world. He's the only person that brings out artists and songs. There are no other labels. It's just basically um, Death Note Records, um, Birdsong, yeah, that's it. That's, there's all of this left there. So poor Winslow, he doesn't have a chance to go with any other producers or anyone else because in this world, it's just Swan, and that's it. That's all he really has to go for. And apparently he doesn't really care much about trying to find other singers because he just basically finds Phoenix and says, this is the girl that's going to see my songs. I think he does that because she's probably the only girl that talks to him. Because I <laughs> I have a feeling that this guy is probably not really lucky with the ladies. I mean, he probably doesn't have much friends. And so the only girl that's ever nice to him is what the girl. He? Oh, oh go, go ahead. ahead. No, I, I, if, I, if I do that, the only girl that was ever nice to him is the girl that he says will sing a song. Which I understand because, you know, if a girl says hi to me, I'm like, oh, wow, you said hi to me? What the... <laughs> oh, wow. Nope. But yeah, I just find it to be kind of like a very odd, strange thing. There's probably other women out there who are probably better singers, and he picks her. So. 
What what I found interesting in the rewatch is he's going through Swan's mansion as all of these other women are singing it, and none of them really seem to be singing it in the way that he he likes. So I think there is a little bit of a he sees himself reflected in Phoenix because okay. he uh, comes up to her as she's singing it. And he's just kind of like, I mean, he has all of these other, you know, beautiful women that he could kind of like be checking out. But it's the one that like he thinks is singing his song in the right way. Mm -hmm. But like, I think in our original podcast, we had noted that he was like, no one will sing my music except for me. (laughs) And then he just is like, oh, well, pretty woman. Uh, Yeah, I'll I'll totally, you know, let you sing it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The the weight. Okay, so uh, what it feels like is i i mean i don't know who you hung out with in junior high but oh, i knew who, who i had oh i i hung out with all like the the theater kids and uh-huh. i hung out with some of the guys go- see in high school i hung out with like different groups i hung out with like the jockey kids uh-huh. and i hung out with like the theater kids uh-huh. and i hung out with the goth kids you see in my high school each social group had a certain section of the locker rooms where they hung out at yeah yeah it was like that with us for the uh the tables and that's where See, it, was ta- I... it was tables for you and for us it was like the locker rooms because upstairs was all the jock kids downstairs were theater kids and then to the right upstairs was all the like our computer geeks and downstairs was like the theater kids yeah, yeah. We had a relatively smaller, apparently, high school. We we hung out in the lunchroom. That's when we would mainly commune together. Sure. But so that's where me and Lydia started hanging out. But like in in junior high, which was a different lunchroom, I hung out with a lot of the loner kids, which was funny for all the loner kids to like congregate to one table. And what happened was I got a I got a handful of these kind of loner guys who would occasionally fixate on a girl. And I found it fascinating because I wasn't interested in anyone at the time, um, like singularly, because I was obsessed as a teenage girl can be with the, a general populace of men. But like like these guys would become so fixated on one girl and I'd be like, look, I know her personally. And they'd be like, you know her personally? Could you tell me details? And I'd be like, no, probably not. But like <laughs> I want to know why you find her particularly compelling. And it, they were just regular girls. There was like – there was no elitism there. It was just someone that they found something compelling about. And sure. none of those none of those have turned into a relationship. So this movie was not a surprise to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, the fact that he finds her as he's walking up this spiral staircase and it becomes nothing to her. I'm like, yeah, she was on, a, on, a, on an audition for a job. Like she wasn't thinking she was like, oh, yeah, he can, he's encouraging me and that's great. And she engages in that moment. But like the fruit that came the, of that was like barely a grape between yeah. the two of them. It was all about Swan. So she didn't really care. I mean, I'm sure like you said before, you know, she saw Winslow there. It's like, oh, you're the writer of this. Well, that's cool. I'm going to like uh, see you as the writer of this production that I want to be a part of. Not like, hey, I'm going to fall in love with you. Because of this, yeah. You're exactly you're exactly right. Because in the last act, she casts him aside as nothing. Yeah. She 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 is more than almost anyone else a garbage person. And I'm sorry I keep using that phrase, but like her redeemable her redeemable qualities are few for me. I don't. Yeah. See, I don't know if she has. She doesn't really have anything to really kind of be 
sorry for. I I know in like Swan's eyes when she goes off. Sorry, in Winslow's eyes when she goes off with Swan, it's kind of like heartbreaking because he's in love with her and yet she's with another man. Um, but she really didn't really do anything wrong. You know, she just kind of chose the men that she wanted to sleep with, and if she wanted to sleep with Swan, it was. Her choice, maybe he is the devil and he seduced her. And the only way Paul Williams can seduce a lady, because I'm pretty sure back in the 70s, Paul Williams was just getting a whole bunch of ladies. Because <laughs> if I wrote if I wrote the Rainbow Connection, that would be my end in the 70s if I was hanging out at Club 54. Hey, ladies, I wrote songs for the Muppet movie. That's right. <laughs> and right away there, just... A pussy and cocaine and galore right there. I bet you that's all you had to say. Yes. So, oh. so, so would that be pussies, cocaine, and the Muppets? Basically, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> that would be, oh, Lydia, that would be the, the Muppets, the pussy, <laughs> cocaine. <laughs> and you said it, too. That's beautiful. Yes. Um, well, I would actually, you know what? I um, I asked Lydia her general thoughts about Phantom of the Paradise. Naomi, give me your just general thoughts about this movie because I never really got your thoughts. Even though you kind of said something. I have so many pages of thoughts about this movie. Not just so, no, not just so many thoughts here. I want you to give me just like three words that describe this movie. Okay, I haven't, I haven't listened. To, I haven't listened to the entire lexicon of your podcast. But how many times have you asked the three word question and somebody's no. been like, "What <laughs> the fuck?" This is the first time I've ever asked the three word question because you said okay. a whole bunch of notes. <laughs> I can see why you want to limit words. me to three words, Vern. But my words are, "What the fuck?" What the fuck? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, that's that's a good way to describe the movie because it does go to like different genres you got you know it's a rock opera uh-huh. it is a musical uh-huh. it's also kind of like a slapstick comedy it's yeah. a horror slasher film in a way even though it no is one, yeah um, tribute to psycho right in the middle of that business there's there's definitely a lot of like uh um voyeurism there's cold i mentioned that before uh, a lot uh-huh. Of, uh-huh. there's pad scene in there's sometimes good scene in um yeah, huh. we gotta do this right now because we're gonna talk about some of our most favorite or what the fuck moments. I gotta take a really quick break. I gotta play some ad spots and then we'll be right back. All right? Do it. Be about it. After these messages, we'll be right back. This is the Nostalgia Junk Podcast, where one person's junk is another person's childhood. I'm Matt McGraw. And I'm Kyle Smith. Join us each week as we take a deep dive into your pop culture consciousness and discuss everything from movies, TV, music, cartoons, toys, video games, and more. And we want to hear from you, so connect with us. Nostalgia means so many different things to so many different people, so share with us your favorite piece of nostalgia. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at NostalGunkPod. And you can subscribe to us on all the major podcast platforms. Let's get this thing up to 88 miles per hour, and we'll see you next week. And now some quick words about our sponsor, Grasshopper. Owning a small business is not easy. 
Trying to remember the names and numbers of employees and clients can be very stressful. Grasshopper's unique phone system makes it much more easier for you to just focus on your company. Grasshopper works just like a traditional phone system, but it requires no hardware to purchase or software to install. Callers can reach you via your cell, your office, or your home. So save $50 today at trygrasshopper.com slash cinemarecall. Have time for another podcast and enjoy listening to two idiots discussing films? Then look no further. We are Movie Drone Podcast, two mates sitting down to discuss new releases, nostalgic films and anything and everything in between. He's Steve. And he's Mark. Together we answer listener questions and set each other homework, giving each other a film to watch that the other hasn't seen, in the hope of unearthing hidden gems. You can download us on iTunes, Podbean, as well as Google search us to find us on loads of different platforms. Or email moviedronepodcast at hotmail.com. I think that's all. No chance, mate. Huh? You've forgotten everyone's favourite feature. Mark's movie impressions. Oh, I hope you've forgotten it, too, to be honest. No chance of that, mate. You think you should do one? I hate you. Come on, mate. Show them what you got. Hey, my boy. Hey, my boy. Yo, Adrian! <laughs> and if that hasn't put you off, give us a try. There's a small chance you won't regret it. This podcast is a proud affiliate of the Let's Chat Podcast Network. Find out how you can become a part of this team by going to listchatpodcast.net and click on the Let's Chat Affiliates tab. Caligari, Frankenstein, King Kong, and now Phantom of the Paradise. He was maimed and framed, beaten, robbed, and mutilated. But they couldn't keep him from the woman he loved. From 20th Century Fox, the most highly acclaimed horror fantasy of our time, Phantom of the Paradise, rated PG. Those are some fantastic sponsors and ads. I know. <laughs> they are the best. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we are back here, Cinema Recall Podcast, me, the Vern, talking, of course, with uh, Naomi, Linda, and Jen from the Shot to the Plot podcast. Jen, I never got your thoughts about Phantom of the Paradise. What are your thoughts? I remember coming out of the end and asking, how is this a Brian De Palma film? It's got split screen. So different than, and he's got an eclectic taste, but this is so different than all of his other stuff. Oh, very much so. I mean, you can see, like, a lot of stylistic choices uh, between, like, Mission Impossible and the Untouchables, and um, uh, even like Carrie, because Carrie and Sisters and this movie, they all use the split screen technique. Because mm. in this movie, this movie they try to do an homage to Touch of Evil, the Orson Welles movie where they where the uh, juicy where the Phantom puts a bomb in like the juicy fruits who've now become like the beach bums. Yeah, they're, they're doing like this music video and he puts a bomb into a car so that's kind of like an homage to touch of evil and he uses the split screen technique with that he's gotten much better with using split screen technique um yeah it's uh yeah i would have to agree with you too jen it's a very very different to pull a feature because he's the pump is known for doing like a lot of like thrillers and really really a lot of like uh sexual thrillers people have said that 
if Hitchcock was still alive, he would be making the type of movies that Brian De Palma made because Brian De Palma is not afraid to shy away from like nudity and sets. Um, I know we covered this in a previous episode that when um, after Hitchcock made the movie Frenzy, because that was the only R-rated movie he made, if he was able to do more R-rated movies, uh, he would have made a movie called Body Double, which is kind of like Brian De Palma's homage to Real Window, but featuring a lot of cocaine and porn stars. So. Yeah, and there is a lot of techno technical achievement in what Brian De Palma kind of tries to do. Like, there's a really long, uh, steady shot in Snake Eyes that he that was probably the the longest tracking shot at the, at least at the time. Oh yeah. So there is there is a lot that he tries to do technically in each of his films and. You can kind of see that, especially like you said, with the uh, with the double tracking shots, and we kind of relayed that as sort of Swan trying to record everything around him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like what he's doing with this. Yeah, the the sound technique that Swan's doing to try to change Winslow's voice, that sort of like sound editing was used much better in like Blowout. So I figure like Phantom of the Paradise is an earlier film. Brian De Palma is still learn his craft, and for, like, I don't think this was his first movie, but I know it was, like, his very earlier movie, so, like, it's probably his second feature, and for a director doing a movie like this, I don't think he did all that bad. So. Yeah, I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, I want to ask, I'm going to start with you this time, Naomi. I want you to tell our listeners a moment, not a moment you actually like, or a moment you hate, but just a moment that sort of like uh, was like your biggest what the fuck moment. You're like a moment that capitalizes this movie. In an okay, I have yelled this lot. Okay, so the thing, the person who I don't want to say salvaged the film because here's the thing: regardless of how I feel overall, this movie is engaging. Okay. And that's all I really desire for most pieces of work, hence shocked and applaud. Like, am I horrified? Am I super excited? Like, I, I want to be involved emotionally, right? Sure. So you get pulled in right away with all of the visuals and the characters and all the music, and it, it's really compelling. But here's what made me say, I, I kind of dig it. And that is the character of Beef. <laughs> at first i saw beef and i was like no 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 thanks no 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 thanks right but okay. then i was like yes yes please and by the time he utters the words that i have screamed across my workshop floor for the past week now <laughs> by the time he says these iconic words which are without a doubt the best line in the entire film more than even Phoenix, right mm-hmm by the time he says these lines, I am so won over by this, and I will fight you to the grave because it's a Fox film that makes him a Disney princess. <laughs> okay. He's officially a Disney princess. By the time Beef says, I know real, real from drug real. <laughs> I was so sold on his leather pants, icon drawing on his shirt, like almost nearly Jerry Curl white boy self. That, like, he, I wait for him for the first half of the film. And then I watch the last part of the film just so I can get to the credits and watch him dance around again. 
Oh gosh. Ah, uh, for listeners out there who don't know who Beef is, so in the movie, um, Swan has basically stolen Winslow's music, and he's trying to find someone to sing the song. Doesn't want Phoenix to sing the song, and there's like um, he's at a desk that's shaped like a gold record. And he's finding different singers. You know, he has, like, a folk band sing the songs. Uh, then he has, like, another, like, rock group sing the songs. And then the best one is where he has these uh, two beautiful black women sing the song, which I think he should have chosen. But he doesn't. He goes with, like, this very much bad meatloaf singer, this glam rock singer that doesn't seem good at all with the <laughs> spandex and everything. Uh, yeah, kind of reminds me of like T-Rex, the singer T-Rex, but T-Rex is a much better singer, and he is just doing a bad singing job, but for some reason Swan's like, fuck it, this is the guy, this is the guy that's going to be a star for my show. And so, basically, Beef is now the person that's going to perform this musical for Swan's Club. Forgot to mention that earlier. So, Swan wants to open up this nightclub, and apparently, this Beef guy is going to be the person to entertain his crowd right there. And he is just something to behold, folks. It's like everything 80s just threw up on this guy. That's Which is only... funny because it's 1974. But it's still, it's so 80s. Everything about this guy, it's like, I know this movie is 74, but it's like that embodiedness of beef is somehow influenced a bunch of metal bands. I'm sure it had to. Yeah, yeah. He's flashy and he's cheap and he's easily manipulated. And that's what Swan needed. But that is also like the McDonald's hamburger of deliciousness that I find that beef to be. He's 100% grade pure beef. <laughs> grade pure beef. <laughs> I mean, yeah. everything. Like the, I mean, the antler pants. <laughs> you remember now, huh? <laughs> yeah. Because the, the, you don't write it down, but they're there and they're in your brain now and you mm, can't get rid of it, the no, burn. No, I don't. I, 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 I cannot. Uh, it just many the way he walks and the way he marches around there too. This is like, I'm watching Dr. Razzo. Oh, from from Death Metalocalypse. Metalocalypse, yes. I'm watching the precursor to <laughs> Doctor Rosso. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Exactly. So good choice there. Um, I guess he could be a Disney Disney princess. I don't know. I can, I I guess because Disney did grab the rights to all Fox movies. Maybe they'll feature Beef and another Record Ralph sequel, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Instead of, I'm going to wreck it, he'd be like, I'm going to snort it. <laughs> yes. Love it. Uh, Linda, do you have a uh, moment or two? What's it? Yeah? It's Lydia. Lydia. Oh, I said Linda. I'm sorry. Lydia. My apologies. Lydia, do you have a favorite character? moments of this movie i i, I kind of have to agree with naomi about beef <laughs> he was my favorite character but um the uh 
like kind of go into one moment in the movie that kind of encapsulates the entire movie. I would have to say it's the homage to Psycho in the in the shower, where the, uh, the plunger. Yeah. So okay. So he's he's uh so uh what is it um. Uh, so Winslow's been pretty much caged up and locked up, and then he goes Super Saiyan and breaks out of his cage. And uh, that's <laughs> when Beef is all like, "Oh no, I gotta get out of here because you know, uh, you know, that's uh, that, there's some guy who's gonna come after me and he's gonna kill me, and I know it." Uh, and so he's told to kind of calm down by Philbin, and he takes a shower, and he's taking a shower, he's singing, and then you see this uh, like a shot of. Uh, someone we know it's Winslow uh, coming towards the shower and he like takes the knife and he slashes through the shower curtain. And then you think that the knife's going to be used on beef, but they switch it. And instead he just puts a plunger <laughs> on his mouth. and He's just like, gives him a warning, which my, my takeaway from it was just even, even Winslow doesn't want this guy dead. Not at first. Yeah. I, I know he wasn't just get, rid of the guy which is funny too he doesn't want to kill him but he has no problems putting a bomb in the other <laughs> band's car which i never quite understood i mean at least that other band i mean they at least play the songs you want to play maybe i don't know but yeah uh, well you also have swans swan takes beef aside and is just like do whatever you want to the music and so yeah. beef is like taking the songs and and like Lydia's not this Lydia but Lydia Dietz from uh Beetlejuice's mom who's just like I must gut this out and make it my own <laughs> you know what I mean like he's doing that to the Phantom's work and so I think that's why he finds so much fault with it so uh, okay so so I think he has a problem with beef but it's uh, like I don't know why he hates the beach bums more Shouldn't yeah. he? I don't know. I, I don't know. I I think that uh, you actually have you know Winslow who's like really like anal retentive about songs, and then you have Swan who is just about the money. And I know he needs to find a band to open up this nightclub here. But whoever thought that a musical about Faust? would be something to do. Even if you change the lyrics around or you change the music around, it's uh, not something that's going to really want to open up a nightclub with, all right? I mean, I I don't want to do, like, uh, I'm not, if I open up a nightclub, I'm not going to show, like, The Handmaid's Tale there. I mean... <laughs> if you described, um, if you described Black Panther as Hamlet, but now with, like, superheroes, nobody would want to see it. So if you're like it's um it's Faust, but there's gonna be like guitars and shit. There's gonna be guitars and there's gonna be this guy who wears like the silver mask on there. And but there's then... gonna be some there's gonna be some feathery chicks with mercs on that look like pubic hair. <laughs> and there's gonna be other band members who are punched off the heads of other people. <laughs> I want microphone knife. <laughs> microphone <laughs> knife. Oh, well, I have a couple moments, and I want to talk about these moments just so I can understand it better. And that's why I'm glad to have everyone on the show here, uh, Jen, 
uh, Lydia, um, Naomi talk about a couple of these moments to help me understand it, okay? So there is a moment that happens earlier in the movie when Swan is trying to... So based in, in the earlier part of the movie here, um, Swan's assistant or whatever takes Winslow's music and says, hey, look, I'm going to show this to Swan and we'll get you paid or we'll get, you, we'll get this made to a song or something like that. And he doesn't hear from anyone for about five months. Five, six months go by. And so Winslow goes to where, like, Swan is casting women to sing the show. And that's where he meets um, Phoenix, Phoenix. And then there's a moment where there's, like, this rotating bed of all these women just dressed half naked. And they're all just waiting there for Swan. And Winslow is there, too. He's there to try to sell his script, to try to talk to Swan. So he's basically dressing in drag to meet up with Swan. And of all the ways to get to someone's attention, why that? Did you think that Swan would pick him out, not knowing that uh, Winslow's a girl, take him back to his room, and that Winslow can maybe try and seduce him to buy his script? I don't know. And I found the whole thing just to be kind of confusing in a way. Because after that, after Swan does have him kicked out, then they find drugs on him. But he's wearing Nathan Jay's stuff right there. How could he actually find a way to plant stuff in his body to get him framed? So I found the whole thing to be kind of weird. Help me out with this. You, you question the efficacy? Efficacy? Effectiveness? Effectiveness. Yes. yes. Do you question the effectiveness of this plan of his uh, the overall? Effect, uh, well, uh, no, he's not also a lot of other ban bad plans too, but I'm like just thinking of all the things to try to do. Why this? And the rotating bed with the woman on the bed, I get that's kind of a homage to um, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And I get the director's choice of using that. But to put Winslow in there and kind of drag the one out there just didn't make any quite of sense. So absolutely, we all three of us have opinions about this, and okay. they vary because of various different reasons and places where we are as people. Um, who who wants to go first? No, oh, Jen's in. Jen's, Jen's go in. for okay. it. Okay, yeah, go for it, Jen. Oh, I, I just kept thinking. Well, the the Benny Hill song kept going through my head. It's called Happy Sax. No, uh, oh, sh it's a Sean fact. It's a uh, hacky. I don't know. Oh, Yakety Sax. Yakety Sax. I think might be. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. It's just shock comedy. Okay. Okay, so Perfect. me, so me, like, I, because I, I grew up um, Kids in the Hall fan, because I grew up a Monty Python fan, sure. um, I, I like it when, I, I mean, I don't mind it when a straight cis man dresses a woman to fill a role in a skit. Like, yeah. say you've got a hard, uh, a largely male 
company. Like you're going to have to fill feminine roles and like you can bring in some women and certainly uh, Monty Python and uh, Kids in the Hall both brought in women to fill roles. But on occasion, a lot of occasions, the majority of occasions, they would have a male cast member play a female role and they would play that character uh, air quotes straight you know what i mean they would be a female in that role and it wasn't like a poke at women it wasn't a poke at like some sort of gay or gay coding thing it was just they needed a female character so they slapped a wig on scott thompson and like sent him out and he did a great job and i love him until i die so when we have an entire bed full of female ladies who are just like yeah yeah no no swan although he's a short weird icky guy like we're totally gonna like and not that short and weird or bad because lord knows that's kind of my type but like (laughs) sorry jen uh i'm just joking but like but like they're all like no he's this is what they're basically saying is they're rolling around each other on covered in like salmon velour (laughs) They're like, he he expects us to bone and it's all right because I'm a, I've I've boned like several times for him and it's never really been a thing, but I'm sure this time he'll pay attention to me, blah blah blah. And then like the door opens and he's like, Hi, I'm Winslow <laughs> in the middle of all these ladies that he was not there before. Like I watched the scene several times and I was like, he's not there until he's like obnoxiously there and then kicked out for being a pervert and then drugs are planted on him and then he gets beaten up and jailed and blah 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 it's i don't like it and i don't think it's because i i don't think it's because he's maybe it's maybe it is because he's just so abruptly there and he's just not I just, it feels non sequitur. It feels like just this kind of like, oh, you're like kind of warming up to this scene and like, how, how is this going to break down? And then like this cold glass of water of Winslow is thrown on you and like, you're like, duh, the guy with five o'clock shadow who doesn't fit his gown, who's <laughs> like, hey, I happen to have a penis in this pile of ladies. It's like, that's what, that's not what we were going for right now. And who would have let you in? Who would let you in, Winslow? Nobody. 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 Yeah. It breaks the fantasy. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. That that kind of put things more into perspective for me. I do appreciate that. Um, okay, wait. But Lydia, I'm sure, has an opinion that's not uh, as long-winded as mine. Okay, don't go ahead, Lydia. I mean, outside of the fact that it's ultimately showing that Swan is hedonistic um because he has all of these like you know babes who are using him for him for for his status and he's obviously using him he's obviously using them for their bodies i mean the takeaway that i come away from it is winslow's just a fucking idiot yeah (laughs) does make him look like an idiot yeah like i mean i mean he's he obviously didn't stop to think about the uh you know the fact that this you know big producer is interested in his work and maybe he should have copywrote that or maybe he should have gotten something in writing before he just went ahead and gave it away um but he's just like yeah i'm just gonna go ahead and and follow swan to his swanage oh that's right it's called the swanage the burn (laughs) the swanage okay (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't, like, workshop his songs, because most singers, uh, at least singers I, I know if they ever have, like, uh, stuff they're working on, they would go to, like, coffee shops, and they would workshop songs, and maybe get a crowd of people to watch him, because I thought he had some good songs, and I'm sure if he played that stuff in a coffee shop, he probably would have found other people to take on his songs. He probably could have found a place to perform the whole Faust play in its entirety, and get financing based on that, um, but he was seduced in because Swan's like the biggest producer thing in the world. It's like, in this world, Swan is almost like a politician in a way, because everything seems to rely on whether or not he finds an artist or not, or if he finds like a band like, nothing else in this world matters except for Swan opening his nightclub. And I, I got I to respect how they do sort of, like, uh, set the world for this. Because even before the opening credits, you get the whole backstory of Swan and how Swan started all the latest trends in music. And that he's, like, the be-all, best-all of stuff. So, in Winslow's defense, you can sort of see why... He would be seduced by that power because he wants everyone to hear his songs. And I know I'm going on a little tangent here, and I apologize, but yeah. we love a tangent over here, so I'm glad about it. If it, I myself, if like some something like Disney wanted to sponsor me somehow, like first of all, we'd have to go to a lot of editing on the backlog, but like. <laughs> But like if if say say my record was completely clean with language and wording and all of that, if if somebody was like, hey girl, this is your first thing and we're gonna offer you more money than you've ever seen before and all you have to do is walk forward without any thought, like it's hard not to walk into that. But that's the whole freaking thing about Faust is mm-hmm. that you're offered everything you ever dreamed of and you don't realize that your soul is going to be ripped away and everything you actually care about is going to be this hollow facade that isn't going to fulfill you. And that's exactly what happens to Winslow. But Winslow he... doesn't really give anything he wants to be. He doesn't get the girl. You mm-hmm. know, he gets locked up into a room mm-hmm. to record his songs. Uh, he gets promised a bunch of stuff. And I, I figured after after Winslow gets fucked over the first time and doesn't have his songs be sold, and then and then Swan is gonna be like, "Hey, look, I'll let you record your songs, and we can cast women you want." I before he signed anything with his blood, he should have like just thought back to a few days ago. He got sent to jail for several years, right? Mm-hmm. Long enough to get his teeth knocked out and have to work in the tiddlywinks factory. Yeah. So he gets into jail, teeth knocked out, and yet he still sends a contract with Swan. And, like, during that moment there, I was thinking, what the fuck, Winslow? You just got put into jail. Your face is now destroyed because of this guy. Your voice is now destroyed because of Swan. You're going to sign a contract with them because you may have the, maybe, uh, what we call it here, maybe the mere... The mere, 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 mere mention of Phoenix. Phoenix may be coming to shake your hand, much less Stroker Johnson, all right? You, you're you doing this stuff for a girl that probably doesn't know who you are. I mean, no, she doesn't care about him at all. 
she knows he wrote the musical, and that's when you're an actor, it's always good to meet up with the writer and director of a project right there, but she's going into it for her own professional goal, not going into this for any type of romance. So when she does hook up with Swan, let's face it, she is kind of a gold digger, and she was doing it just for her own benefits right there. Yeah. No, nobody in this movie is a good person. I was trying to think of that too. No, I, I'm trying to think of who actually is. It's Beef. I think beef, you're right. I contend that Beef is the only good person because all he wants to do is get high and perform something think... that is true his own artistic self, and I support that 100%. Uh, 100% Beef for life. I think you're right. Uh, <laughs> another moment I got to bring up real quickly because when I rewatched it, I really kind of forgot how bad the song was. The moment's kind of weird as itself, too, because Swan's in bed with Phoenix, and they are having the worst type of, like, seduction oh, scene. It's, it's as sexy as, like, baloney smells. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Like, baloney sandwich with no condiments on the bread. It's yeah, just, it's just white bread white and a baloney, and you get a big old whiff of it, and you're like, oh, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's edible, but I don't want any. <laughs> and then she has a song in there. Now, I did when. Venus was having her first audition, and she's saying that sort of like country rock jam. I didn't mind that. I'll admit it. I was kind of tapping my toes to it a little bit. But when she starts singing her love song to whatever, uh, the whole dramatic love song, I found that to be just very, very funny and hilarious. And I'm going to play a sample of it right now. Do it! I'm making up words here, folks, because I'm not going to know the actual quote lyrics first. <laughs> this song includes the Our phrase, song. we kiss hello. <laughs> so go ahead and sing that for me, the Vern. Do we, we kiss? Oh, no, I, I'm actually, I'm actually going to do one better here. But actually, before, I'm, I'm going to find that song real quickly here. But uh, we never asked you, just Jen, do you have like a moment of the movie that really just like popped out to you? 
Oh, I, I just think it was horrible that uh, the actor who played Winslow actually almost got his face smashed in that uh, record uh, caster Wait, machine. Yeah. It was a press. Or what record press? Yeah. Really? Yeah, it was a legit record press machine, and they had put a brick in the machine to catch it before it smashed his face. But here's the thing about a record press. They're really strong because they're pressing plastic into a very precise shape. So it smashed that brick to nothing, and his face almost died. So when you see him pull out his face, that is actual fright as he's pulling out his face. Wow. I I did not know that. Well, damn, man. <laughs> I know we just kind of turned this into a true crime episode. Does, uh, <laughs> so here are the lyrics for the song that uh, Phoenix character sings while she's in bed with um uh, Swan there. Oh, that's a different song than the one I was thinking. Okay, okay. So, no. Our love is an old love baby. Is older than all our years. I have seen in strange young eyes familiar tears. We're old souls and a new life baby. They give us new life to live and learn. Some time to touch old friends and still return. Some time to touch old friends and still return. Okay. Um, oh, here. There's a... Uh, okay. Ah, lots of here. Um... Our, our kiss with no tears. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the end line here, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but... I kiss when I must go. No tears in time. We kiss hello. We kiss hello. It's <laughs> just the worst, and it's not your delivery. That's what it is. That's exactly what it is. This love survives in the ages, and its story lives in pages? What the... Wait. This... I'm trying to. I'm just trying to break this stuff down here to understand. The mm-hmm. this love survives the ages, and its story lives our lives are pages. Mm-hmm. Deep stuff. Deep. Okay, so Deep like stuff. a million a million years ago, when you were like, didn't you refer to Winslow as a Muppet, right? I uh-huh. found the part. I found the parts of my notes that yeah. describe him exactly, and how I. <sighs> How I originally described Winslow is Elton Garfunkel Muppet Jack Skellington. <laughs> and that is exactly that is exactly his lyricist style. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And because she's kind of I don't I don't know what kind of to trash to define her as, but because she has the delivery of a of she has the delivery of how it feels to step in water with your socks still on. <laughs> like, it gets given like that. Like a wet Muppet. Wet Muppets. Yeah, I can totally agree with everything you just said right there. Uh, Sorry, I'm actually going back through some of the other songs <laughs> in the soundtrack. Just to find the lyrics here, so... We mentioned about the Juicy Fruits. Juicy Fruits had a song in the very be- very beginning. So I'm just going to read for our audience here just the opening lyrics to these, all right? And you can tell me if this made sense to you. We'll remember you forever, Eddie. Through sacrifice you made, we can't believe the price you paid for love. Little Eddie Mitty, 
born in Jersey City, started to sing when he was five, never knew his father, mother didn't bother to catch his name, catch his last name fast as he came. He was often flying, times were really trying, ate his mother alone, soon another mister, soon a baby sister, mama kept swinging, and A kept singing, ay ya 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 for love, for love. And yeah, I, I, oh, and then the other lyrics kind of go into his sister. And I feel like the Juicy Fruits were singing a completely different song about a different character. Because most times, the opening song of a musical is supposed to maybe set up a theme to it, or like characters, or the plot storyline in a way. This one, not so much. Yeah, it was the grenadine chaser before your tequila shot. Okay. It was like, what? What is that? That has nothing to do with this. Yeah. Okay. Sorry about that. I'm just kind of... Uh, folks, if you've never seen Phantom of the Paradise, you cannot understand what it is like to try to, like, review something like this until you actually see it. And I know this is an audio podcast form, and we are doing our best. Big shout out thank you here. To both Naomi, Lydia, Jen, Shot and Applaud. Please follow them on Twitter at Shot Applaud. Yes, uh, please do so. I, I figured I am not doing this this movie any justice of me trying to explain it. Uh, do recommend our listeners go back and listen to the Shot and Applaud podcast talking about Phantom of the Paradise. I'm going to post links on our website so you can actually hear that episode. And also check out the other episodes too. Um... But we're getting about to, like, an hour now talking about Phantom of the uh, Paradise, and I've run out of things to say about this movie. Talked <laughs> about our most wild what-the-fuck moments of Phantom of the Paradise. Uh, talked about the cast members. Talked about the songs. Talked about Brian De Palma's direction. So, I'm going to start with you, Naomi. Give your last um, kind of final thoughts about Phantom of the Paradise and not three words, but six words. Six words. <laughs> Do you give me six words? Six words. I'm going to count these out on my finger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, hold on. Give me, give, me, give me a second to think it out. Okay. Uh, oh, six. Oh, okay. Six. Uh, okay, six words plus a punctuation, right? Okay, sure. Okay. Uh, my six words are... Okay, but you should watch it, question mark? <laughs> How's that? Beautiful. Because, okay, I will elaborate just a little bit. I know you only gave me six, Beautiful. and that was wise of you, Vern. <laughs> that was wise. Okay. <laughs> but once upon a time, way back in like the mid-90s, my sister, as a bedtime story, told me the plot of Rocky Horror Picture Show, and I did not believe that it was a thing that happened. I thought she'd made it up. Like, she was like, yes, there's a mad scientist, and there's a rock and roll guy with a motorcycle, and they ate him. And I was like, <gasps> right? <laughs> because out of context, if you hear about this film, it makes no sense whatsoever. Not unlike Rocky Horror Picture Show. True. But if you were to watch it and then listen to us rant about it, it makes perfect sense. It really does. And I yeah. can't explain it better than that. Don't count my words, Lydia. I see you counting on your fingers, and that was way more, and I'm sorry, but thank you. Naomi, that was perfect. That was perfect. Uh, The six words right there was great. Uh, Lydia, 
I want you to describe a fandom of the paradise, but I want you to kind of describe the movie as you would be describing it for, like, a children's show. Like, you're presenting this movie for a bunch of, like, kids. Like, just really quickly tell them about this movie <laughs> as, like, your kid show host. I, I, I'm supposed to do this <laughs> quickly? <laughs> Miss Lydia, Miss Lydia, tell me about a movie I should watch. What movie should I watch, Miss Lydia? You should watch Phantom of the Paradise. It has everything. <laughs> uh, Paul Williams trying to be sexy. Ooh. Bad 70s music. <gasps> it has it has a future Disney princess. By future the name Disney of princess. <laughs> <laughs> and they tear him apart at the end. Yay! <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much. Go, Lydia. Good job. Thank you. <laughs> now, Jen, describe Phantom of the Paradise as like a hard-hitting documentary. Like a, um... Do a voice, too. Do, like, a documentary guy voice. Like a very, like, um... Gosh, I can't think of the guy who's famous for doing all those documentaries. And there's, like... David like, Attenborough for the Vern. It's David Attenborough. David Attenborough. Okay, yeah. Do so, do something like that. Or even, like, a Jacques Cousteau. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're diving the deep mystery there. Yeah. Yeah. Either one of those. This movie has just about nothing that you could ever want in a movie. It is also a story about people that you will never find interesting. But somehow, in the end, people really fuck things up. <laughs> Alright, I give you I'm gonna give you the word here, Jen. That was awesome. <laughs> Those are all good. Fucking brilliant. Uh well, thank you, because uh, this is going to make our whole new season of Cinema Recall here. So I'm going to actually start using the, doing that from now on. Just describe movies in different voices in different ways. So <laughs> thank you. I want to test shit out, and you came through nonstop. You brought your A-game, your action talent. Uh, yeah, brilliant job, everyone involved here. Uh, so that's going to kind of wrap up our episode about Phantom of the Paradise uh, big shout out here to Naomi and Lydia and Jen from Shots and Applaud. I apologize immensely, Lydia, for fucking up your name throughout the process of the show. I do that sometimes, and I apologize. I yeah, and not not a problem. Naomi, I apologize if I didn't fuck up your name enough. I should. You, I wish you would. My name is Norman. Nor, 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 Oh, Nomi. Uh, I don't. Did you think about Nomi and Naomi? Um, I gotta look back to your back catalog here. Have you done a big, did big dive into showgirls? Oh God. <gasps> we should, but like an NC-17, and I'm gonna have to be like, so he's banging her backwards in a waterfall, and I'm like, how the fuck do you breathe? Sounds like <laughs> a really hard conversation to have. Okay, fair enough. All right. But you know what? Maybe. 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 That movie's got some points. <laughs> it could be a special Patreon episode. I don't know. Uh, but <gasps> Yes! Oh, my God! Jen, 
write that down. Vern <laughs> on for Vern. Hey, the Vern. Yay, the what? Yes. Do you, do you want to do showgirls with us for a Patreon episode? <laughs> yes, I would. <laughs> write that down. We'll make notes. All right. Very cool. Well, tell the listeners out there about all the places you can find Shot and Applaud. Uh, we're most uh, we mostly frequent Twitter, so you can reach us there at Shocked Applaud. You can also find us on Facebook at Shocked and Applaud. You can also check out our Patreon if you want to support us as well. It's Shocked and uh, it's, it's uh, Patreon.com slash Shocked and Applaud. If you want to talk at us, feel free to email us at Shocked and Applaud at gmail.com. We'll send you notifications on Instagram, too. It's the same handle as uh, Twitter, Shocked Applaud. Love it. Love it. Uh, yes, definitely check out their shows. Check out their past episodes. They are really funny and really intelligent. They are like a double combination of like smarts and sexiness and brains. Yeah, it's just freaking just a great package there. Love them dearly. Thank you very much for being on the show. As for Cinema Recall... We are continuing our episodes about Brian De Palma. Uh, not quite sure exactly what's coming next because I'm recording all these shows out of order. So I'm not really quite sure what I'm editing next. But be on the lookout for our next show talking about a different Brian De Palma feature. If you ever want to know what we're going to be, what's going to be on in this episode, visit us on Twitter at cinema underscore recall. Uh, Facebook and Instagram at Cinema Recall Pod, and email us ad spots, suggestions, packets of macaroni. Um, if you want to, if you want to mail us out like um, like beef, made scenes about beef, do that. That's fine. Uh, stuff about Winslow or Jessica Harper, do that. Uh, our email is Cinema Recall at Gmail dot com. Also, don't forget to check out. The Fours a Crowd podcast. I do some audio editing work on there. So come check that out if you want to know what else I'm doing besides Cinema Recall. I do editing work for the Fours of Crowd podcast. So definitely check that out. And that's going to be it for right now. And I will see you cats all another time. Caught up in your wheel and dealing. You've got no time left for simple feeling. I thought I knew you, but I didn't know you at all. Trapped inside your world of worry, you miss so much when you always hurry. Well, slow down, baby, you'll only get hurt if you fall. Well, you told me one time that you'd be somebody that you weren't working just to survive, but you're working so hard. Vern, Vern, it's been an absolute pleasure, I gotta say. Well, oh, well, thank you. That was been lots of fun there. Yes, I, uh, I did my best to try to take notes on the movie again the other time there. But then when I start watching the movie, I start to take notes down, and then I just end up like just watching it and 
my notes did to be kind of scrambled around there and certain stuff. But I did cover everything I wanted to cover. Uh, talked about the the bad songs that she has in bed, and you three just brought up a bunch of different facts and made the show a lot of fun. Yes, and also I'm kind of like feel kind of floored now because I just got done doing a big editing project, and so my mind has just been kind of on that a little bit too. So, but yeah, but thank this was great. Thank you both for being on the show. Sorry, I tend to talk. I tend to like talk a little too much there. But if you ever want me on your short girls episode, I would love that. <laughs> yes, definitely. It sounds amazing. We don't know how far out that is, but it is now officially on the docket. It's on the docket right there. All right, cool. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.